Do you find that today you're pulled toward newer, better, bigger things? Is your world driven by getting to the next success, to the next win, to the next upgrade? Do you struggle to find satisfaction, contentment, and consistency? An effort to stay ahead in the game is debt building up around you. Are you out of energy? Are you out of hope? What if you were able to let go of that feeling to strive for more? What if you could live in a place of peace, knowing you were taken care of? What if you no longer needed to worry about measuring up? What if living with less is actually living with more? All right. Uh, we are going to uh, begin a new series today, and today we're going to take you to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. That's another one of those books where the pages are probably stuck. Uh, go ahead and begin to turn there, and when the ushers are done, they'll come back offer a Bible to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, I've got to be honest with you guys, it's, it, the realities are kind of hitting home. Uh, this is the next to the last sermon that I'll share with you. And, um, and it's, it's really kind of uh, kicking my drawers a little bit because I'm just thinking, wow, you know, you think about this for a long time and then the reality starts kicking in. And um, most of you know we, we sold our home uh, over in Mucotillo, uh, just closed on a house in Noblesville, Indiana. And we'll be loading up a couple of uh, Penske trucks, 26-foot Penske trucks on Friday and head out uh, the early part of next week. Uh, to take the first load, and then I'll come back, and we've got, uh, got a few more things to do, but, um, but appreciate your prayers for the transition, the travel, things like that. Uh, th this house we got is 100 Glasgow Lane in Noblesville, Indiana, and uh, it's near, near our three, three of our four kids that are there. Many of you have asked uh, about what the next chapter looks like. A lot, of, a lot of it's still a little bit murky. We don't know exactly what will happen, but uh, this is the first step that we'll take in trusting the Lord on that new chapter. But I, I am excited about today and, and the series that we're going to be spending the time the next several weeks on. As you can see from the trailer, uh, it's, we're entitled this Too Much, uh, Learning to Live with Less in a Land of More. And if we perspective-wise could see where we live and what we have and everything, I think you'd agree that we live in a plentiful uh, environment in comparison to the rest of the world, that's for sure. And so uh, much of our message is going to be derived from a book that a friend of mine, Gary Johnson, uh, wrote. It's called Too Much, and it's by the title. And if you didn't pick up your copy last week, you can pick this up out in the lobby. There's a stack of them right on the door over here. They may have, have one at this door as well. But don't leave without getting your book if you haven't already gotten it, okay? And we're going to be walking through this. Our life groups are going to be keyed to these messages. And so if you haven't gotten a life group, I encourage you to do that. Uh, there's, they're all over the uh, county, basically. Uh, so get plugged in with a few other believers and to walk through some of the principles that are going to be discussed in, in this book. So as we, uh, as we look at this today, I, I just want to say out loud, I know that when it comes to sermons on finances, on money, things like that, there are some pastors that avoid this topic. I'm not one of them. Uh, haven't been one of them, and there's good reason for that. Uh, I understand a lot of guys, you know, they, they've heard that the number one objection non-believers have is, oh, well, all the church wants is my money. They just, they're always talking about money. 
And, and, and think about this. If they're a non-believer, they don't come here, but they listen on the TV. And if you listen to a TV preacher, chances are that's where you're going to get that perspective because it costs a lot of money to keep you on the airwaves. So they get that perspective, and rightfully so probably. I've never hesitated. I've never apologized for this because, number one, as your pastor, I've always committed to preach the whole counsel of God's word. And that means from cover to cover, right? And there are 2,300 verses in the Bible that talk about this subject because God knows it's so fundamental about who we are and how we live and, and what we do. It doesn't just talk about the money. It talks about the things that money can buy and, and, and our heart and our attitude regarding those things. And so if I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God, then invariably we're going to touch on the subject, which we do. And I think with some pretty healthy balance. Uh, the second reason is a more subjective one, though. And that is because, I'm going to just tell you this, uh, from the beginning of my married life particularly, and even before that, but Annette and I have understood these principles and practiced them to the best of our ability in all of our married life. And the simple confession, the simple testimony we would share with you today is God has not just been faithful, he has been more than faithful. In fact, that exceedingly abundantly more that the scripture talks about, that has been our experience. And all I know is, is, is that, that that same God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's got the same thing for you. And, and if we would apply the things that we're going to be talking about these next three or four weeks, it is going to lead us to a healthier uh, relationship with God, but a healthier relationship with others. Think about this. Isn't it a wonderful way to live when you don't have to be anxious about that area of your life? When you don't have to have arguments over, over money and fear and anxiety that, that is concerned. Think about how that impacts relationships with others and how much better that is. That's what I believe the Lord had for us when he talked about abundant life. And that's one of the reasons why I am enthusiastic to be able to walk through those kinds of principles with you. And so if you'll, if you'll join me in this journey the next several weeks, I'm convinced that at the end of this, we're going to be impacted in a huge, huge way in a, a financial health uh, that, that perhaps isn't our experience right now for some of us. For many of us, you guys have been practicing this, and this is a confirmation and affirmation. But... Um, but today, we're, we're going to start that. And, and it's not in your notes, but I'm going to give you kind of the heads up of what's coming down the next several weeks, okay? It's kind of a formula, if you will. And my friend Gary, you know, he, he states this kind of in, in his work because in his own testimony, he just realized that if we will commit ourselves to four principles and then have those translated into four practices that's what's going to result in real profit and not the kind of profit that's monetary. It goes well beyond that. It, it's some of the things we described, the peace that comes from honoring God and putting him first. But the principles, here's the principles if you want to write these down, okay? Uh, the first principle is gratitude. And we're going to talk about that today. Next week we're going to talk about contentment. And then the third week is trust. And the last week will be about humility, okay? And the practices, the way that this translates into is debt-free living, debt-free living, saving, and budgeting, and then, and then finally giving, being able to be uh, like, like the Lord in that fashion. 
And so those components are kind of what we're going to be devoted to. And as I said, we'll, we'll take a deeper dive in our groups and things like that. So could we, could we say a quick prayer and just trust the Lord as he guides us, not only today, but just even through this, this uh, month of, uh, of teaching, and that God will be honored by it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, again, we just bow before you humbly, acknowledging you as our great God, and we thank you. Thank you for the truth about who you are, your nature, your loving, uh, giving nature. And we just pray that we'll learn more about your ways and that we will have a heart's desire to be more like you. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So would you send that spirit down to us? Fill us full and uh, help us, Lord, to make adjustments where they need to be made. Help us to yield or even surrender uh, in, in areas that maybe we've clung to or... Uh, or held tightly in our own pride. And so we just submit ourselves in the coming days to, to uh, hear your voice and to put those words into practice. Trust in Jesus' name for this. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got some Bibles available. Uh, if you want to look at uh, Deuteronomy 8 with me, that's where we're going to begin uh, our, our talk. And, and if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy... Uh, this is one of the books that Moses is, uh, is, is attributed to Moses. Uh, near, it's near the end of Moses' life, and he's led these children of Israel for upwards of 40 years now, and, he's, and now they're getting ready to transition into the promised land. Okay, that's the context. This is actually a collection of Moses' farewell sermons. Now, that's appropriate. In other words, this is kind of his last shot to the Israelites before he goes up to Mount Nebo and goes to be with the Lord, and then they, they go on into the promised land. And so what we're looking at today is actually like sermon number one. And if you think about that and you think of all these years he's been leading, all the experiences they've had, this is kind of his parting thoughts that he really wants to impress upon them. And if there's one word that stands out among these verses, even the ones we look at today, but really through all these sermons, 13 times in Deuteronomy, he uses the word remember. So the key word here is the word remember, as opposed to what? Forget, all right? And if you know the history of Israel, they had a propensity to forget. We have a propensity to forget, don't we? and drift off onto our own, and so we need to be brought back. We need to kind of recalibrate and come back to, to what the Lord has taught us and shown us. And so what Moses is going to do in these verses we're looking at, he's going to kind of remind them of what God has done over these years. This is why the message today is called God on Display. Here's how God has shown up. This is what he's done. And he wants to remind them of that. And then there's a little challenge tucked away that uh, we'll consider as well. So as we look at that, here's the obvious question. What does he want them to remember? What does he want them to remember about God? Let me share three things that I see here. Here's the first one. The first thing he wants them to know is that God gives. He is a giver. And right out of the gate in verse 1 and 2, Here's what it says. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. 
And you shall remember the whole way that your Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And so right there in verse 2, the first thing you read is that, that God wants you to remember the, these things, how, how he's done this, uh, to lead you into the land, he says, that he has given to you, that he swore to give to your forefathers. And guys, as I, as I just look about that, has God been a giver to you? Has he given you anything? Let me just stop and recount what he's done in your life. Now, I don't know if your testimony is the same as mine, but when I, I, it's not even adequate to, to say that he gives. He gives above and beyond. He gives generously. He does not just dole it out, you know, drop by drop. He is an abundant, plentiful God, the way that he, he operates. That's just his nature. When, when we are in this relationship with him, in this covenant, like the people uh, were called to. And Moses is just pointing, pointing this out. And he's saying, guys, think about this. Look, look back over these past decades, these, these years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, I want to remind you something. Moses is challenging. He's speaking this message to a new generation. Do you realize that? The old generation has died. Remember, they had to die in the wilderness. So this is a new group that's coming in. And he's reminding them what God did for kind of their forefathers. Bible tells us that when they came out of Egypt, there were 600,000 men. And if we do the math of adding the women and the children, it is a conservative estimate that there were upwards of 2 million people that left Egypt. And they went out into the desert. And it was not long before in the desert an issue of food and water became very real. Have you ever thought of the miracle of sustaining two million people? Do you know how many two million people is? Somebody said if you lined up 50 people, a row of 50 people, that they would be 20 miles long. That line would be 20 miles long. That's about how many live in the Seattle area, isn't it? Right around two million, something like that, two and a half million. And you just think that many people are now wandering around out in the middle of a desert. One of the things I like to do when we uh, take folks to Israel, the first place we stop, the next morning after we arrive at Tel Aviv, we go to Beersheba, nice city, you know, modern, everything. And then the next morning, we head out into the Negev, the, the desert, the south. And we go down to, actually, the Red Sea. And on our way, we stop at a little place called Timnah, where there is a tabernacle set up. They assume it's somewhere in that vicinity where they would have been wandering and they would have had their, their tabernacle in fact, this is the location. I want you just to see and take that in. That's literally Timnah where we stop. And you, you look around that area and you think you've got two million people to feed with food and then provide water. Is that not a miracle of provision in and of itself? Has it ever just soaked in? How did he do it? Well, he provided water through a rock, Right? And, and the food through the manna we talked about a couple weeks ago that fell from heaven. So the, the bread from heaven was manna. And every morning it was fresh, it was new. He provided that. And all of that was to train the people out there. This is what he said. Those years that he did that were to humble you and to test you and to get you in that posture of dependency upon God who is the one that gives these good gifts uh, to us. 
There's nothing outside the realm of impossibility for the Lord. And some of you are here today, and you walked into this service today, and in your world, it may be a little bit chaotic right now because you're not sure what that provision is going to be. You're not sure if those resources are going to be met. And you just need to know this. God knows you. He knows your situation. He loves you as his child, and, and he gives, and he gives abundantly as we, as we keep that relationship with him. And so he's just reminding them of this. He's just pointing this out, that, that he, he is the one that's going to, to give them. Now, friends, when we talk about God giving, is there not one greatest gift of all that he's ever given? And what would that be? The Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our most well-known passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. That, that's the heart of God. And, and Moses wants them to be reminded of this. The second thing is, is that God owns all of this. We remember that God is the owner and uh, things are about to change pretty dramatically for, for Israel. But look at verse 7 now. He says, For the Lord your God is going to bring you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs. By the way, if you'd lived in that kind of a setting for the last 40 years, would that not sound pretty good to you? That's pretty inviting, huh? A land of brooks and springs of fountains flowing out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates and a land of olive trees and honey, a land to which you will eat bread without scarcity. And listen to this, in which you will lack nothing. They have been spending the last 40 years in, in lacking everything, Everything that you've just described, it, it's not been a reality. And now you're getting ready to shift gears and you're going into a place where you will lack nothing, he says. The promised land. This is what their, their vision was. This is what, what they were sworn to, to be given to them. And he's describing that. And so how does God do that? How could he do that? That's not their point of reference. I'll tell you how. Because he's the owner of it all. Psalm 24 says, the Lord, the Lord owns everything on the earth and everything within the earth. He is the owner. Did you know that when we use the word Lord, that more often than not, the Hebrew word there is the word Adonai, and that literally means owner. You're saying he's the owner. It's why we do times like this where we're teaching and reminding us that we're not owners, that we are stewards. That's why stewardship messages. And steward means you're the manager. You're not the owner. You're just taking care of it for the owner while he's away, <laughs> as Jesus often shares in parables. We're the stewards. He is the owner. He's the one, he's the one that can determine whether, whether or not he's going to give it. But I want to tell you, too, he's the one that can withhold it as well. It seems to me as I'm reading this, that over and over Moses reminds them that all of this kind of is hinging upon their obedience to the commands of the Lord, isn't it? Okay. The rightful place that we honor him, he's the owner, we're the manager, we're the steward, and he says, this is what I'll do for you if you're faithful in your stewardship and your managing of what I've given. I'll bless you in this way, but just make sure you be careful to do everything that I've told you to do. Um, you know, Follow my commands. 
And, um, and, and this is, this is Moses' kind of final word to them. So God's a giver. God gives. He, he owns it. And here's the third thing that I see unfold here, that God is the one that's in control. God is the one that is in control. Isn't that, isn't that comforting just to almost say that out loud? God, you're in control. When your life is spinning out of control, and some of you are there right now, you don't know what's going to happen. You're kind of in a tailspin. And God is the one that is in control. We have a word for that. It's called sovereignty, that he's over it all, and that uh, he's, the, he's the one that's going to call the shots. I like this section. It's a little longer, but I'm going to read it, beginning with verse 10. And, um, and this, he closes this out because this is where the challenge kind of comes in. He says, you shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. Well, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and you're full and you've built good houses and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of a house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought water out of the flintly rock. This is what he's done for you. Who fed you in the wilderness with a manna that your fathers did not know, that they might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Listen to this one. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Friends, there's some in the room right now, if you're honest with yourself, really honest, you bought into that very same thing. You thought it's you. It's all about what you can do or provide or, or it's about you making it happen. And consequently, when it comes time, when we do talk about honoring God with our first and our best, you're saying, well, I can't afford that. Or I've worked hard for my money. Or, or I just don't know where those resources might come to. Or, if, or I don't know if I'm going to have enough. Do you find a common thread in all that? The word I? And if we're honest, we, we have to evaluate. Do we really believe that God's the one in control? Or do we believe that we're the one that are pulling the strings and calling the shots? It's a huge, huge adjustment that we make as we begin to follow the Lord, as we're surrendering over to Him and we're giving to Him the glory that is due. And these ba three basic things, God, you, you give. This, these things come from your hand. You're the owner. I'm not the owner. You are. I'm just a manager. And you're the one that is in control. And, uh, boy, I've been there. We've all been there in those times when you just didn't quite know what was going to happen. And it doesn't take too many of these times, but God is so good sometimes to send us into situations just to remind us that one truth. You're not the one that's in control. I am. The thing that you thought was not possible, guess what? All things are possible because I'm God. <laughs> I'm the owner of it all. I think one of my favorite stories 
happened a number of years ago. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Charles Lake, was a pastor of Greenwood Church in uh, Indiana. And they planted several churches around uh, the area. And he, I remember when he shared this story with us uh, when I was pastoring down Florida, but he said, one of our church plants, you know, they were just kind of eking out a, an existence. They had a rented facility, you know, so they didn't have, have a whole lot going and didn't have very much money. Uh, his staff consisted of this pastor and then a children's pastor, children slash youth pastor that was kind of his associate. And this pastor had a dream. He wanted to reach families. And he had this vision, you know, of, of providing an environment that would be just so family friendly. And, and right out of the gate, they'd see, you know, maybe like, like a play area, you know, with slides and things like that coming down and something just really noteworthy for the family. And this children's pastor kind of caught that vision. The only problem was they didn't have any money. And, uh, and so they had to start where they were at. And, and this uh, children's pastor heard about this auction that was going on, and they had a popcorn machine that was for sale. And they thought, well, we might be able to handle that. That might be a good start. And if any of you have been around here during Fridays uh, when we do the popcorn, it's an aroma that fills the air, isn't it, Don? Don's been doing that for a number of years. And it, it's just kind of like one of those things where you just kind of go to the popcorn because you can smell it. Maybe that's what he was thinking. i got to get this popcorn machine. Well, he got an okay to spend $500 max. That's all we've got. And so he drives across uh, uh, the state. In fact, he went over to Illinois, and this, this kid's place, uh, big, you know, uh, kind of venue for kids, was having a, a, a complete auction. Everything was going to go. And when he walked in there, uh, there was half a dozen people or so, and he come to find out that they had just sold the popcorn machine. It was gone. And he was so disappointed they had driven all that way. But he thought, well, I've driven this way. You know, I might as well stick around. And what they were getting ready to do was to auction off the whole inside of this building, all the equipment that was in this building. It was a discovery zone. And, and so all of these, uh, these, these uh, slides, the pipes, you know, the colorful yellow and red pipes going around and all of the, the foam and everything to protect the kids and the, just all this stuff. Everything in one final auction, no reserve. And the kid stands back and he sits, and the guy starts off, he goes, let's just start at $10,000. He says, I know that's just a good starting place. We'll go from there. Nobody bid. He says, well, he goes, I need something. He says, says how about eight? And then he went to 5,000. He said, I just need to get started. Let's, let's, get, let's get it going. And nobody bid. And he said, listen, this is, there's no reserve. I've got to have something. And he said, How, a thousand? Will somebody start with a thousand? Nobody bid. And he said, anything. You got anything. This kid looked around. He said, $500? And nobody bid. And he said, sold for $500. A hole inside of a discovery zone. And... Uh, <laughs> And this gal that was standing next to him, it gets even better. She, she just looks and she says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I, she said, it's just, like, it's just like the mouth of the lion was shut. <laughs> and he says, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, my pastor gave me a, a green light for $500 max. And he said, he's had this dream and everything. And he says, I'm, I'm just kind of stunned myself right now. I actually goes to this gal. I actually came over here to buy a popcorn machine. 
And I didn't get the popcorn machine. And she looked at him and she said, well, I bought the popcorn machine and I want to give it to you. <laughs> and he came away with both of them. And, and I just thought, is that not the way of the Lord right there? He just is abundant. He is, he is, he is so far beyond what we can imagine. If you've never experienced that, friend, I want you just to take a moment and consider what is, what is your heart's attitude toward him? Do you see him as the giver? Do you see him as the owner? Have you come to conclude he is the one that's in control? So what is our response today? What's the response that I think he would call from us? When I look at this, I, I think, first of all, it's pretty clear in Moses' words and everything, he's calling them to acknowledge him in everything, acknowledge God in everything. I, I, just, I just know my life, and I'm just pouring it out there, but there's not a day that goes by that somehow, some way, that I'm not thanking God for, for something that he's provided. I mean, when we, Annette and I pause and we talk to the Lord about, um, you know, things and, and even before meals and all that, it always somehow is saying, God, you're the one that's in control. If we're facing something that maybe is swirling out of control, God, you're the one that's in control. You're the one that owns it. You're the one that will provide. Acknowledge him in everything. Jesus told a parable about a farmer in Luke 12, and this farmer was blessed, and it said that he had more than he needed. But rather than thinking in terms of kind of passing it on, probably the word we would use is hoard. You familiar with that word? He, he hoarded it, and, and he said, I'll, I'll just build bigger barns. Jesus is telling this story, and I think that was his point, is that this guy, instead of thinking in terms of, you know, blessing or passing it on, he's hoarding it for himself, and then the person says, you fool. That's the word he chooses to use for that kind of person. You fool, don't you know that your life will be demanded of you this very day? And so some of us think, oh, well, well I'll, 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 I'll just keep this. I'll hang on to it. There's a general principle Jesus taught. You try to save your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. But when you give it away, that's when you're going to discover true blessing. You give that away. So acknowledge him in everything. And the last thing is, is to act, to act in a way that is marked by gratitude. To be full of gratitude for what God has, has done. I suppose we could always see the glass half empty. Some of us are just wired up that way. But what would it look like if everything you just saw, the hand of God, the abundance of God in that? Uh, going back to Deuteronomy, one of Moses' message was, he said, three times a year all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that will, he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Okay? Now, I know maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but sometimes I've felt like this weekend, this first and best weekend, is kind of like one of those feasts. It actually coincides with, with one of the fall feasts, but it's a time where we come before the Lord, and it's just a reminder. That's why they did it three times a year. And he says, don't come empty-handed. He also gives a little more instruction. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. According to the blessing. It means proportionate giving. We're not all meant to give the same. Jesus pointed out a woman one time that put a penny in the offering. 
And he elevated her and said, she's given more than all the rest of these guys because she gave everything she had. And so it's all a matter of the heart that he's looking at. And he said, when you come, come with gratefulness, gratitude, and God will be honored. Okay? Uh, today, we've, we've let you know that we're going to be having baptisms uh, at the close of the service. And this is an open invitation, by the way. If you came prepared to be baptized, you, you, know, you knew this and, and you want to be prepared, now would be a good time maybe to shift gears and go over and meet Pastor Paul over this side of the room here in just a moment. Um, so feel free to do that. Uh, we're all, all getting ready for you. If you didn't come prepared and yet uh, this is something that's been on your heart or your mind, could I just say a few words? In light of the message today that we're hearing about honoring God with our first, with our best, I just want you to be clear that I know most of this is within the context of finances or, or our, our resources, our money. But friends, the greater thing is our life, isn't it? It is our lives that we are to give to the Lord. Romans 12 says, we are living sacrifices. Present your bodies as living sacrifices which are wholly pleasing to God. And and I just, I, I want to make sure, I don't want one person in this room to miss this. That if you are contemplating your walk with God, and maybe, maybe a lot of things have been swirling, maybe you've just been coming to North Shore for a short time, and you know consciously you've never really truly committed your life to God. There's no defining moment when you know that you offered him your heart, your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and give you that opportunity to do just that. The Bible says very clearly, Romans 10, 9, it says, if you will confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords, you shall be saved. And that means that what happens is now he comes inside of you. You, you now have what it takes to spend the rest of eternity in heaven. If Christ has not come inside of you, you will stand before God on your own merit. And you don't want to do that, by the way, because there's no good thing that we have to offer him, nothing whatsoever. It's only the, 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 the work that Christ has done, and if God sees him in your life, he is going to justify you from all the guilt of the sin that all of us were born into. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put your trust in Christ? Do you know that? Is that a certainty? And if there's any hesitation or any wondering, then why not, like Scripture says, make today the day of your salvation? And we will do that in a moment. And then that's one reason why we, we have baptism is because that is the one thing that Jesus prescribed to do as an outward declaration of what has just been, we've just described, of Christ coming inside. Because, again, make no mistake, you're talking about dying to your old life. And I know that's a big deal. But you're raising up with a new life in Jesus Christ. That's why baptism symbolizes that, by going under the water like a death, and you come up and you're raised. And it's universal, friends. I don't care what country you go to where there are believers in Jesus Christ. This is what they do to outwardly signify, I identify with Jesus. And it's not a suggestion. It is a command. So swinging back to what we've talked about today in Deuteronomy, notice everything he hinged on this is, will you obey my commands? You want the blessings of God, but you want to do it your way? It's not going to work that way. 
but you surrender to him and you come under and submit to his leadership and guidance and lordship, he's the owner, you do that, these blessings are going to be poured out, but one of his commands is to follow the Lord in baptism. Some of you have been kicking the can down the field a long time. You've been putting this off, and you've got all kinds of reasons in your mind. And I just want to implore you. I want to challenge you today. What are you waiting for? I mean, if you can get up where you're at in just a moment, uh, our worship team is going to guide us in some songs. I'm going to go right from here over to there. I, never done, I did it last service, but I'd never done it before that. I'm going to take my shoes and socks off and my watch maybe, <laughs> and I'm going to get in there, and whoever wants to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you get up. We're ready for you. We've got some things behind, behind uh, the doors over there to help you to get prepared, but, but don't hesitate. Don't reason it out. Don't, don't try to think of it logically. If God's prompting you, now is the time to do that. All right? I'm going to invite you to stand with me first, and then we'll probably sit down again while we do our baptisms. But uh, you, uh, you pray with me, and I want to guide you through a prayer. If you've never prayed to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, maybe you'd want to pray along these lines. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we, we just worship you. We love you so much for what you have done. And I just thank you to be a part of a community of faithful people who walk in these ways and who model these ways. One thing we realize, Lord, is in a church like North Shore, that there are people out on the wings that we just, we're not quite sure what's going on in their mind and their heart. We're not sure where they're at in relationship with you. Only you know that. And in the quiet of this moment, as your spirit is speaking, that still small voice is speaking to our heart. Someone right now, even as we're praying, is feeling their heart in their chest and it's beating a little, little louder because they know your spirit is talking to them. And you can hear even what your word says. You're, you're knocking on the door of their heart. You're not going to bl blast it down. You're not going to kick it down. But you're just knocking and saying, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. But I'll only come in upon your invitation. And right now, you want to invite Jesus in. You don't know what to say. But maybe you can pray along these lines. Lord Jesus... Right now, I open my heart to you. And I do invite you to come in and make it your home forever. Today, I'm trusting you as my Lord and my Savior. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry for them. And today, I uh, commit my life to you. And with your help and with your power, I want to live the rest of my life for you. And so today, I, uh, I want to thank you that you've, you've made me a child of God. And Lord, before I say amen, I just, I'm praying over those that have prayed that prayer that your spirit would begin to take them on a journey that they couldn't ever have even imagined, but it'll be the best journey they've ever been on in their life. God, help them, strengthen them, especially in these early days of their new walk with you. Protect them from an enemy who's going to try to Try to derail them and unravel what's been done here. And Lord, for those that have trusted you this way, and the next step is baptism, and they've not taken that step for whatever reason, 
today, Lord, would you just infuse them with a courage and with a resolve that there's nothing that you've told me to do, Lord, that I would not do. And maybe that all begins by following you through baptism. So we commit this to you today. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.